0: Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Last week, Pastor Joseph talked about living a vulnerable life. That in the last 30 days of Jesus' life, we said if you had 30 days to live, what would you do? There's only one person that actually knew he had 30 days to live, and that was Jesus that was living it right. And we've gone through the attributes of the things he did in the last 30 days of his life. So I want to begin, maybe you're here for the first time, by asking you this question, what would you do if you only had 30 days left to live? Who would you spend those 30 days with, those 720 hours? Who would you spend them with, and and what would you do or say while you were with them? The next principle we want to talk about today in the life of Jesus of what he did in the last 30 days is he learned humbly. He learned humbly. So let me ask you a question. How many of you are really good at something? Raise your hand. You're like really good. There's something you're really good at. Okay, with the rest of you, I'm sorry. You're really good at not being really good. at something. So, I mean, some of you are like great cooks. How many great cooks do we have here? Okay, how, how many of you can sing? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of you, we're gonna go ahead, we're in church, you're a good dancer. Okay, we don't wanna know right now, but I just would thank you for, okay. How, how many of you, are like you're, like, you're really good at carving and making things with your hands. Raise your hand. How many of you are really good with uh, causing trouble? Come on, raise your hand. Wow, we got a bunch of those here. I'm glad you're in church. Um, I, I want to talk today about the next attribute of Jesus' life is that he learned humbly. Now, a lot of people have accused me of being a lot of things. How many of you say, Pastor, I'm really good at being humble? Because if you raise your hand, you're not. I've been accused of being inspirational, I've been accused of being funny, I've been accused of going long when I preach. I've been accused of being the tallest Mexican people I've ever met. But I've never been accused of being humble. Matter of fact, I was going to write a book called Humility and How I Achieved It, (laughs) written by Jacob Aranza, forwarded by Jacob Aranza, endorsed by Jacob Aranza. You see, the truth is, in life, you either choose humility or by default, you choose humiliation. Humility is you make yourself to be not a big deal. And so God is able to exalt you and other people. Someone said that either you can exalt yourself and God will humble you, or you can humble yourself and God will exalt you. God's not choosy. He'll take either job. But I believe he is choosy. I believe he'd rather that we obey him and humble ourselves. So the only job we give him is to lift us up and to honor us. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt powerless in an area of your life? Have you ever felt like there was a habit or a relationship that you tried everything you could for it to get better, to overcome what happens in it, but but it just seems to get worse? Is there extra power that we can have access to in areas of our life as Christians? As Christians, are we just supposed to accept that that whenever we get mad, we're going to say things we shouldn't say? That, that whenever I get really, really, really upset, I get drunk. If you think I'm looking at you, I am. I am. That, that, that the habits in your life, that whenever you probably should stop. The, the, the four things that they say in addiction, halt, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. That when you do, when you get to that place in your life, you do something that you shouldn't do. Are we always just supposed to say, well, I'm imperfect. So I guess this is just, just what I do. When I get mad, I just cuss. Should we accept that as normal in our lives as Christians? Answer, well, at some point in our lives, all of us are going to experience failure. We're going to experience it. Most people who are facing the end of their life are seldom self-sufficient and, and arrogant. Why? Because death is humbling. Death is humbling. Jesus knew that, so did the apostle Paul. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine, he writes this. Paul writes, each time... When I asked him to take away this weakness, he said, my grace is all you need. And by the way, my power works best in your weakness. So now I am glad to boast about so that the power of Christ can work through me. The truth is I can bring my failures to God. And in the area that I am weakest, when he transforms me, they become the areas where I'm strongest. We're going to see that in today's story. See, we all have weaknesses and we all have failures. Sometimes pe- people who are beginning their spiritual journey, who are being born again, like the many that have this last month, sometimes they come to me and they go, "Pastor, um, I, I gave my life to Jesus, but, but 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 what happens if I sin?" And I say, the question isn't what happens you sin. The question is, what happens when you sin? How how can you have a fresh start after failure? If indeed we're all going to fail, how can you start over once you do? If at one point or another, all of us are going to. Today, we're going to get to examine the life of one of the greatest failures in all of the Bible. One of the greatest failures. This guy was an expert failure. Can I tell you how dumb he was? How foolish he was. He's called the disciple with a foot shaped mouth. Every time he opened his mouth, he said something stupid. And the only time he took one foot out of his mouth was to put the other foot in his mouth. He is the only person in the whole Bible. Get this. His claim to fame is he was rebuked by God. The father God, the son and God, the Holy spirit. What a claim to fame. One time he said something and Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. How many of you are pretty sure if you came up to me or one of our pastors and said, look, pastor, I've got a question for you. And you asked your question. And I said, get behind me, Satan. You'd go, I'm going back to the Baptist church. <laughs> My priest never said that to me. I'm going back to the Catholic church. Of course you would. Jesus actually looked at this guy one time and said, get behind me, Satan. And there was nobody else but him standing there. He was rebuked by God the Father from heaven, and he was rebuked by the Holy Spirit. Every promise this man made to Jesus, he broke. Does he sound like a failure yet? He even cursed and denied Jesus at Jesus' greatest moment of need. While Jesus was crying and dying, he was sleeping and denying him. How many of you figured out who I'm talking about? Come on, yell it out. Peter. Peter. Peter Peter lied to Jesus. If everyone betrays you, Lord, I never will. Peter denied Jesus. If everyone denies you, I never will. Peter forsook Jesus like all of the disciples except John, the only one who stayed even all the way to the cross. So how could you ever recover from that kind of failure? How could you recover from that kind of failure? How many have ever lied? Raise your hand. Okay, those of you that didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, look, if you lie, can you imagine lying to Jesus' face? You know, when you're a little kid, you go in and your mama looks at you and says, look at me. I Look at me. when well, You know you can't look at her and lie. You at least have to be a teenager to do that. <laughs> Got to be a practice liar by then. So how can we learn humbly so that we can begin again after failure? Five steps to learning how to begin again after failure. The humility. Number one. Learn from your losses. Say that with me. Learn from your losses. Now, does anyone know what Peter's original name was before Jesus changed it? His name was Simon. In Simon, in the Hebrew, the, Simon means one who hears. One who hears. But Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter. How, how did that happen? Well, you can go back and read it later, but in Matthew 16, Jesus takes his disciples on a tour where he's ministering, and he gets to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Michelle and I were just there a few months ago. Caesarea Philippi is this beautiful area of this port city, and they had a huge temple there, and people would go to worship a thousand gods. So imagine that behind me, instead of these boards right here, was a huge temple, and Hundreds and thousands of people were going in there and sacrificing to all different kinds of gods. And while this is going on, the disciples are there with Jesus and Jesus looked at the disciples and say, who do do men say that I am? And one of them said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, your first cousin that, that got killed by Herod for preaching to him and calling him out because he was living with his brother's wife. And somebody else said, of the disciples. Some say that you're Elijah. He was a miracle worker and you do miracles like Elijah. And one of the other ones said, some say that you're like the prophet that cried all the time. And Jesus looked at them and said, but who do you say that I am? I know what everybody else says, but y'all been with me for three years. You've slept with me. You've walked with me. You've seen the blind see. You've seen me walk on water. You've seen the dead raised. You've seen lepers cured and healed. Who do you say that I am? And Simon says, I know who you are. You are the the Christ. Say it with me, the Christ. See, Christ was not Jesus' last name, Christ was a title. It was a title that when the Jews always prayed, they prayed that the Christ, the Messiah, would come because he was going to deliver them and overthrow the Romans and put them back in charge. So they kept praying, send the Christ, send the Christ. So Peter steps up and he goes, I know who you are. You're the one we've been praying for. You're you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because you didn't figure this out on your own. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father in heaven, and I say to you that I'm giving you a new name. Go change your driver's license, get a new Passport. Change your license plate on your car. Your name is now Peter, which means Rocky. Rocky. He goes from one who listens to one who is a rock. And I say to you that on this revelation that I'm the Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now stop. Time out one moment. What is Peter going to do in the next few days? that's terrible, deny Jesus, curse Jesus, betray Jesus, run from Jesus. Do you think Jesus knew what he was going to do? Yes, because he's going to tell him. But look right here, because I want you to get this. This is so powerful. Jesus knew what was inside of him. He knew the rock that was inside of him. And even though everybody else could only see the arrogant, the big mouth, the stubborn, the proud, Jesus saw the rock that was inside of him. Aren't you grateful that no matter what it looks like on the outside, Jesus doesn't call you by all of your mistakes, but he sees what's in you and the way that he's created you. And he calls you what you are to be, not what you are right now. Someone said the devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin, drunk addict, pervert. But they said, but Jesus knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. And I said, no, he doesn't. He knows my sin and he calls me by his name, son of God. Why are you saying this? Because some of you have been so labeled by the mistakes of your past that you think not that you are in a mess, but that you are a mess. You think that what you went through in a season is actually who you are and it's cyclical and who you're going to be the rest of your life. Peter had to learn from his losses. He had to learn that thus he denied Jesus three times, but Jesus believed there was gonna be more in him. But let me tell you how difficult this was. Jesus looked at Peter and he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, that will never happen. Everybody can leave you, but I can never will. Everybody will deny you, but I never will. But watch what happens after Jesus is taken away, betrayed by Judas. And in a 24 hour period, they take him through three trials that happened through the night. And now Peter's going to see His first and last look, his last look at Jesus. Luke chapter 22. And the Lord turned after Peter denied him and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words that the Lord had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. The last time he saw Jesus, it's Jesus now being persecuted and beaten, and a girl comes up to him and goes, hey, weren't you with him? No, I don't know what you're talking about. And then somebody else comes and goes, you sound like him. And he goes, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And then someone else says, oh yes, you were with him. And then he curses Jesus. The rooster crows. And Jesus from across the room looks over and stares at him. And that's the last look he sees. How many ever remember your parents looking at you with a look of disappointment? The last look he sees. There's a famous portrait. I wish I could find it. I'd have it up for you. And it's jesus over here and peter looking at him and it's the last glance of peter looking at jesus because that's the last time he will see him before the crucifixion simply saying i told you you were going to what a picture of failure and regret how could anyone ever overcome a spiritual collapse like that aren't you grateful that failure is never final because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The first thing he had to do is the first thing we have to do is you have to learn from your losses. Look at me. If you don't learn, it's not a season. It's a cycle. If you don't learn, it's not an action. It's a habit. Someone said, if you plan a thought, you reap a deed. If you plant a deed, you reap a habit. If you plant a habit, you reap a character. If you plant a character, you reap a lifestyle. If you plant a lifestyle, you reap a destiny, heaven or hell, life or death. You can stop it at a thought. You can stop it at the act. Second thing you have to do is take responsibility for your failures. Take responsibility. To learn humbly means I own my failures. Remember when Adam and Eve ate of the tree in the garden. How many remember that? First story in the Bible. God comes and says, Adam, what did you do? Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? And what did he say? Come on, ladies, you've been telling your husband this for years. What did he say? He made me do it. What translation of the Bible? I've heard of some modern translations. I don't know. I said, that's one I never heard Adam. Men, who did Adam blame? You've been blaming your wife ever since. Look, he blamed Eve. Who did God leave in charge of the garden? Adam. Who did God leave with the command that they shouldn't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Adam. Who did he come to to hold responsibility to? Adam. Who did Adam blame? Eve. So then God goes to Eve and he says, Eve, what did you do? And Eve says, Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the snake. Then God goes to the snake and says, what do you do? He goes, may I'm a snake? I snaked her. That's what I did. Watch this. With the first lie came the first alibi. Blame is admitting sin without taking responsibility. Blame is admitting sin, but not taking the responsibility that you should take for what you did. Proverbs twenty-eight, thirteen says, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can, Never. N- when? Never. Never be successful. But if he will, and then he will get another chance if he will confess and forsake them. When I own my failures, I grow. I actually learn. I fell forward. I go, I'm not doing that again. Blame is rooted in shame. And shame is defeated because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He paid for my sin and my shame. My sin and my shame. Shame will put a foot on you and keep you down so that every time you try to get up, it goes, no, that's not what you did. That's not, that's who you are. That's who you are. You'll always be that way. Has anybody ever heard that voice besides me? Remember, Peter was proud. God couldn't use him. Proud, arrogant, and bragging. Peter later gives us insight as an old man what he learned during that time. In 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, listen to what he says. Likewise, you younger men, he's writing to the young Peter of lesser rank and experience. Be subject to, seek there all of you. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Tie on a servant's apron for God is opposed to the proud, the disdainful, the presumptuous. And he... How did he know he defeats them? Because he had to be defeated himself for God to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish in his life. But he gives grace to the humble. Because of this, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and set aside self-righteous pride so that he may exalt you and put you in a place of honor in his service at the appropriate time. What did Peter learn? Look right here, that brokenness is the place of new beginnings. Brokenness is the place of new beginnings. The only person that can take something broken and make it better than it ever was before is the one that knew what it was supposed to be in the very beginning. He had to be broken of his pride to become the rock. Now broken, he was usable. He was humble. Here's the third thing I have to do. Let go of my guilt. I want everyone to say that with me. Let go of my, let go of my guilt. Like temptation draws me into sin, guilt keeps me in my sin. Guilt and shame love to keep their foot on your back. Because they keep you down and they remind you of your past and they tell you that you will never be any different. Well, pastor, what what, what brought Peter out of his guilt? The last thing he saw was the disappointed face of Jesus before Jesus was crucified. Well, what did he do? What changed him? Three days after the death of Jesus, It happened 24 hours. He was crucified within 24 hours of that conversation that he had when Jesus looked at him across the room when he denied him. Within 24 hours, he's crucified. And three days later, the two Marys, not Mary, the mother of Jesus, but two other Marys, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they go to the tomb of Jesus and they brought some expensive spices and they're going to put it on Jesus' body. So they were looking for someone to roll away the stone so they could put this expensive ointment on his body. And when they got there, the stone was rolled away. And they came walking into the tomb and guess who was there? Somebody was there. Our boy Gabe was there. Big Gabe. Who am I talking about? Gabriel, the archangel. He was in charge of communications. An angel was there. And you know what the angel said? What are you doing looking for the living among the dead? Jesus is not here. He's been risen from the dead. He's been risen from the dead. And listen to what he says. Here's what I want you to do. Mark sixteen seven. Here's the angel talking. But go and tell his disciples and that he is going before you into Galilee and there you will see him as he said you would. Do you know what Peter did after he denied Jesus? He went back to his fishing trade. Let me just stop a moment. As a born again Christian, can you go back to living the way you used to live for a day, can you? Have any of you ever got drunk again? Have any of you ever got high again? Don't point at people. You're getting real quiet. (laughs) Have any of you ever done some of the things you said you would never do? Raise your hand. Hurry up. Folks pointing at everybody else. No, yourself. Look at me. I have. What happens when you go back to the OU? Can, Can I tell you about mine? Okay, those six people can come up after church. You know? I gave my life to Jesus in 1971 in the Jesus movement. I was 14 years old. My life was a mess. I started smoking when I was nine years old. By the time I was 12 years old, I was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. My older brother was a drug dealer. I started doing drugs when I was nine. My life was a mess. Four sisters pregnant, 13, 14, and 15. My mom owned a. It was I was a mess. I was a mess. And when I gave my life to Christ in this revival where a thousand kids prayed to receive Christ, I mean, I, I, I turned away from immorality, I turned away drugs, everything. My most difficult thing to lay down. Let me ask you this: Has anybody here ever smoked cigarettes before? Raise your hand. I mean cigarettes. Okay, not the other stuff. Okay. Have you ever given up or tried to give up smoking? Well, the hardest thing for me to give up was not drugs, it was not alcohol, it was not weed, it was not, it was smoking cigarettes. And so I'm walking home from school with a guy that I knew, I'm preaching to everybody at my school, we have a meeting every morning at my school, a thousand kids gather together, sing worship songs, turn in drugs, give testimonies, I'm a part of that. And I'm walking home and, and this guy's walking alongside me he goes, hey man, you want a cigarette? And I heard a little voice, maybe it might be familiar to you, and it said, one won't hurt anything. Have any of you ever heard that voice? One won't hurt anything. And I said, yeah. And he reached into his sock, when you're in junior high school, you keep your cigarettes in your sock. He reached into his sock, and he took it out, and he handed me the cigarette, and I I think that is kind of gross to be sucking on something that's been in somebody's sock all day, don't you think? And so he lit the cigarette. I lit the cigarette and went, and that first, you know, if you've ever smoked before, that first deep drag that burned your chest, just like, and then, you know, you blow it out of your nose and make circles. Like like you're going to die and kill yourself, but you're going to be going circle, making circles all the way down. So, I, and as soon as I exhaled, I heard a voice that said, and you said that you had given your life to Jesus. Your brother said it wouldn't last six months. He's right. You're just going through something that's emotional. You can't be a Christian to do what you're doing. You might as well go back to the way you were before. You might as well go. You are no different. You know who your brother is. You know, how your sisters are, you know, everybody in your family is. go back to the way you were. Has anyone ever heard that voice besides me? And I remembered that I'd left some drugs in my house. So you know what I did? I went to my house and I got that. And I went to a friend of mine's party. That night, everybody was supposed to come over. This was after school. So it was about four o'clock. You opened up his refrigerator and it looked like a beer commercial with people dancing coming out of it. And I sat down on the couch and I was listening to Led Zeppelin And I'm smoking a cigarette, and I'm high. And all I can think about is how my brother was right. I couldn't live this way. It was just a fad. I was not just in a mess. I was a mess. And while I'm laying there, I hear a voice. And the voice says this. Jacob, I forgave you once, I'll forgive you again. And I sat up and it said, Jacob, I forgave you once, I'll forgive you again. And I got up off the couch and I ran home two blocks and my stepmom was there. This is my first of five step, four stepmoms. And she was there, and she had an avocado-colored Chevrolet Impala. It looked like an avocado. And I said, Ivy, w- 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 would you drive me to church? I mean, drive me to school? She said, why? I said, well, the church bus comes by at 630 and takes kids to a youth rally, and, and I want to go. I can remember climbing up my, my, my spiritual father, who my son had and is with right now, who reached me 51 years ago, recalls this story. I'm about this tall, my hair's this long, I have a hat on backwards and I am stoned. And I'm waiting at the bus stop and it pulls right up in front of the school and I step on the bus and I looked at Pastor Keith who was driving the bus and I said, "Um, Pastor Keith, can can I go with y'all? And he said, well sure Jacob, why do you think we wouldn't let you go? I said, Because I'm stoned, I think I backslid. And I got on that bus 51 years ago and I never got off to this day. You've got to let go of your guilt. You have to let go of your guilt. Can't you hear Peter saying to the two Marys, are you sure he said, and Peter? Are you positive? Because the last time I saw Jesus, he looked very disappointed in me. Are you sure? The angel said, and Peter. Do you know what that tells me? that no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Jesus knew all the mistakes that he was gonna make, all the failures that Peter was going to have, but he still knew what was inside of him. And the same way he knows about you, regardless of what you've done, regardless of mistakes you've made, regardless of where you've been, he knows who you are and he is calling you into your destiny to be the rock that he's called you to be. Peter thought he'd never use me again. But aren't you grateful for the promises of God? First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to not only just forgive us our sin, but to cleanse us. In other words, he not only forgives us when we sin, but he removes The habit, he breaks the power of it through the Holy Spirit and the word of God so that we don't have to keep doing it over and over. Here's the fourth thing we need to do, surrender to God's strength. Once I've learned from my losses, taken responsibilities for my failures, let go of my guilt, I'm ready to surrender to God's strength and to quit being confident in my own strength. Leonard Ravenhill, my spiritual mentor, used to say, oh, that we would cling to God with our strengths like we do with our weaknesses. Jesus said in Luke 9 23, he looks at everyone and says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, follow me. Humility begins by be saying no to me and yes to God. Number five, now I'm ready to pursue God's path. I've given up my way. Now I'm ready to pursue his way. You know the greatest act of humility there is? Look right here. It's obedience. It's simply obedience. It means, God, if you said it, you're smarter than me. You made me, and I trust you. If you say, I need to forgive... I forgive even though I don't feel like I want to forgive, even though I think they may hurt me again, even though I think this may happen the same way again. Because you are smarter than me, I forgive. I forgive. Number five, pursue God's path. Luke chapter 9, 23, the message translation says this. Then Jesus told them what they could expect for themselves. If anyone intends to come after me to let me lead, You're not in the driver's seat. Who is? I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the only way. My way, finding yourself, your true self. What good would it do for you get everything you want and lose you, the real you? It's not the lazy boy or the rocking chair that's the symbol of Christianity. It is the cross. So how, how do I live humbly and begin again after failure? Learn from my losses. Take responsibility of my failures. Let go of my guilt. Surrender to God's strength. Pursue God's path. Now listen to what Jesus tells Peter before he falls in Luke 22, Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Satan has obtained permission to come and to sift you like wheat and to test your faith. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that you would stay faithful no matter what comes. Remember this, after you have turned back to me and have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. Do you know what that tells me? God has enough grace to carry me through every one of my failures and mistakes. Through divorce, through morality, through brokenness, through addiction. I never exhaust the grace of God to give me an opportunity to have a new beginning. Nor do you. By the way, that Rocky guy, 53 days after he denied Jesus, 53 days, he preaches his first sermon to a hostile crowd. And listen to what he says. Acts 2, 14, Peter stood up and with the 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, my fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, you need to clearly understand what's happening Now everyone in Israel can know for certain that Jesus who you crucified is the one who God has made both and, and when they heard this, they were crushed within themselves at what they'd done in crucifying Jesus. Deeply moved. They said to Peter and to the other apostles, what do we need to do brothers? And Peter answered, And return to God, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus, the anointed one, to have your sins removed. Then you can take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit, for God's promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your families and for those yet to be born, even for everyone who our Lord calls to himself. And Peter preached to them and warned them with these words, be rescued of this wayward and perverse culture of the world. Watch this. And those who believed the word that day were numbered at 3,000. And they were baptized and added to the church. Look right here. Is that close? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Aren't you grateful that the grace of God that would bring 3,000 people to Christ, the enemy had to pay 1,000 souls for every time he tripped up Peter. (laughs) That the grace of God is greater than my mistakes. The grace of God is greater than my sin. You know who became the first head of the church? Peter, do you know how Peter died? Look right here. Kids, single young adults, look right here. Do you know how Peter died? They said to him, if you preach Christ crucified, then we'll crucify you just like we did him. And they took him to crucify him. And when he got to the cross, he said, I am not worthy to be killed the way he was. So they crucified him upside down. And do you remember what Jesus told Peter? When you're restored, restore others back to me. 2,000 years later, you know what Peter's still doing? (laughs) He's still telling failures, you can have a new beginning. He's still telling people who feel like at their lowest and at their worst that no matter what happened to you, there's a God in heaven that loves you, a Holy Spirit that's sent to draw you to Him, and a Christ that's waiting for you. Look right here, a moment. What is your biggest sense of regret? Like when the enemy really wants to come after you, what does he use? What's his favorite tool to use against you? To bring shame and blame and guilt. Here's the picture I got. Sometimes when you hear what I'm saying, you do, you forgive yourself, you forgive that person and it seems like you, you, you get like six inches first from, from that, and then six feet, and then nine feet. But it's always a chain that the enemy uses to draw you back. Look at me. One of the most powerful things about the truth of God's word and the blood of Jesus. I remember a sin that I stumbled off into as a young person. I remember getting down beside my bed and crying out to Jesus and saying, Jesus, forgive me. You know what I did again? And I heard the Holy Spirit say, no, he doesn't. And I went, what? No, he doesn't. Because when you ask him to forgive you, he throws it into a sea of forgetfulness, the Bible says, never to be remembered again. And the enemy's trying to remind me of something that God himself doesn't even remember. That is why the enemy takes your past, beats you over the head with it, the present, to try to keep you to go back to it in the future. What is it that he uses against you? You were abused you were used you did something you shouldn't have done you said something you shouldn't have said look right here that same Jesus that same Holy Spirit you should day to remove that from you so would you bow with me I just want every person here I, I want you just to have a closed fist and put your fists on your lap And then quietly, I want you to pray this with me. Today, Lord Jesus, I want all the guilt, all the blame, all the shame to be removed. You said you'd not only forgive me, but you would cleanse me of all shame of all blame. Today, I release it to you. Now open up your hands. Open up your palms right there on your lap. And just take a deep breath. Today, Lord, we release all this to you. We release it. Just take a deep breath right where you are. We release it to you. Why should we ever remember what you have already forgotten? You not only forgave it, but you cleansed us from all unrighteousness. We release it to you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes away every stain of fear and guilt and shame. Because Jesus, you paid for it all. All of it. Not part of it. Not some of it. Not a bit of of it. All of it. All of it. Now just say this. I receive your cleansing, Lord. I'm free. I'm free. No more shame. No more guilt. No more blame. I'm free. I'm free. Now look up at me a minute. I didn't get to do this in the other services. You know the first time Peter ever saw Jesus again. After that last look. Remember he said go to Galilee. Peter went back to fishing. He went back to the boats he'd left three years before. He went back to his old job. And they went fishing. And they were fishing all night. And they hadn't caught anything. And they were coming back into shore at daybreak. And there's someone making a fire. A fire's going. And he says, children, have you caught nothing? And they said, no. And he said, cast your net on the other side. Remember, that's what happened when Jesus met them. They'd fished all night and not caught anything. And because he let use their boat, they said, cast the net on the other side. And they pulled in all these fish. He said, cast your net on the other side. And when they began to pull, the nets in, the nets began to break. You know what Peter did? He said, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And the Bible said that he threw on his clothes. They were there like in in bathing suits. He threw on his clothes and he jumped in the water and he started swimming towards him. It's Jesus. And when he got there, Jesus had fish. And said, I've been waiting for you. You know what he thought Jesus was going to give him? A piece of his mind. Why did you do that? I told you you would betray me. But instead, you know what he did? He gave him peace of mind. (laughs) And he had this conversation. Peter, do you love me? Peter said, I'm not bragging anymore. (laughs) Lord, Lord, I I believe I love you. Peter, do you really love me? Peter goes, Lord, you you know everything. I, I don't know anything anymore. Then he said, Take care of my lambs, take care of my sheep, take care of my flock. In other words, the same way I rescued you when you failed. Spend the rest of your life doing that for my sheep when they fail. I wish you knew how much God loved you. I wish you knew how much he cared even about your failures, even about your failures, how much he longs to have a relationship with you. I'm a daddy of six children. I'm a blessed daddy. My kids like to come over to my house. My grandchildren like to come over to my house. There's always food to eat. There's always fun to have. There's always things to do. But I don't want them to come over to my house because of the things and the stuff in the house. You know, I want them to come over just to be be with mama do you know what he wants you to do just be with him just be with him to be with him now let me close bow your head with me and i'll close last three minutes i want to ask you the most important question in your whole life you say pastor what's that The answer to this question determines where you spend eternity. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Pastor, what does that mean? I've been christened. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? Well, that's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus looked at a priest named Nicodemus who was in church, who had been baptized, who had done it all. And he said, Nicodemus, everyone was born spiritually dead since Adam and Eve. Unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're born again, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? And Jesus said, whatever is born of the body is the body. What's born of the spirit is of the spirit. Spiritually, you must be born again. How can I do that, pastor? Pastor? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that I'm a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became my sin bearer. And he died for my sin so I wouldn't have to die with my sin. And C, confess Christ as my Lord and Savior as I turn away from sin to be born again. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. I may have even been christened or baptized, but I've never prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. If that's you... On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand if you'd like for me to pray for you today for you to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. Nothing. God has been working in your life to lead you to this moment. He wants to know you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants Christ to live inside of you and to be resurrected. And today's your day to be born again. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. All across this room, raise it high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, anywhere else, 27, 28. Okay, you can put your hands down. Last 10 seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these 28, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. Would you pray for me? Last 10 seconds, raise your hand and wave it at me and join these 28, 29. Anywhere else? Okay, 30, 31, 32, 33. All right. Now church, let's pray out loud with every one of those that raised their hand to be born again today. Let's pray out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.